0: what should we pray about? And uh, I just want you guys to think about first just uh, maybe an experience you might have had um, when you're praying. So I'm sure a lot of you do your devotionals in the morning. And um, so just when when you get done, if you're reading the Bible and then you pray, uh, what goes through your mind? Uh, What are you planning to pray about? And so I know sometimes it's so random, right? You you just think about what you're going to pray about. And you might think, you know, like, oh, I just read something about um, about creation. Maybe I should pray about that. Uh, I just read, um, I'm just thinking about the test that I have coming up and and I'm stressed about it. You might be thinking like, oh, my dog, his leg, his leg is broken. So, uh, maybe I can pray for him, but I don't know if I should pray for dogs. That's weird. Um, (laughs) you're like thinking about your friend at school and your friend's been talking to you about Christianity more and asking you about your faith and like, why you go to church. And you're like, oh yeah, maybe I'll pray for him. Um, Or maybe you're just hungry and you're like, I wonder what's for breakfast, right? And there's so many things that happen in our mind when we're thinking about prayer, when we're thinking what to pray, right? And so it might make you think or consider um, what do we pray about? What should we pray about? Is there a structure to prayer? Is there a priority in prayer? Does God want us to pray about certain things? And so that's that's a big question, but um, I'm going to try to answer some of it, most of it uh, through this, through looking at the Lord's Prayer. And answering the main question, what should we we pray about? And so there's no better place to look for this answer than God's word. And within God's word, there's no better place to look uh, than the Lord's prayer. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. So the first thing is we'll look at the question that the disciple asked. In uh, Luke 11.1, it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught, taught his disciples. He said, so he asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so this is basically as close as we can get to answering the question, what should we pray? He's literally asking him, Lord, teach us to pray. And to stress how important this question is, if you think about it, there's many important things in the Christian life, right? Um, but there's, there's uh, many questions the disciples ask, but they're not recorded. So like, if you think about, there's no question in the Bible directly about how, how do you preach? There's no question in the Bible directly about how should I read my Bible? How should I do my devotional time? There's no question in the Bible directly about, how should I evangelize? And so these are all important things, but they're not directly in the Bible. But this one question is recorded in the Bible. This one question question is recorded by Luke, and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself to write this down. And so this question is clearly what God wants us to learn uh, about about prayer. This question is something that he wants us to learn the answer to, uh, teach us to pray. One theologian said it like this. He said, just as the moral law was written with the finger of God, right the Ten Commandments, so was this prayer dropped from the lips of the Son of God. And so Jesus teaches us directly how to pray. And so God is inviting us to pray. He's instructing us on what we're to pray about, and so that's what we're going to look at today. <clears throat> and so if we, get, we look at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, the first word is Father, right, Father. And before we get into the Lord's Prayer and the specifics, I want to just look at this word, Father. And just see how powerful of a word it is, and, and uh, we don't have the fullness of time to kind of cover the whole thing of what that means uh, to us as Christians, but I hope, you know, this little part will just motivate you to pray, right? Uh, and so I think most of us are, are used to calling God Father, right? When we go to pray, we've been taught that, or we, we hear our parents, they might address God as Father when we pray, and that's what we're taught. And uh, this is amazing, because in the Old Testament, the Jews didn't address God very often his father. Um, actually, he, he might have even seemed kind of unapproachable, right? If you read through Exodus, you see how God speaks to Moses, and he speaks to the Israelites, and the Israelites are so afraid, they're like scared to death, and they basically tell Moses, you know, you, you talk to God, and then tell us what he said, because we're so afraid, All right? And so God is is somewhat unapproachable, and then when they <clears throat> the temple was made, if you remember, there was this place called the Holy of Holies, right? And so God dwelt, his presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Um, but God was not directly accessible by all people. He was accessible in his greatness of presence only by one high priest once in once a year, right? And so to call God Father is an amazing thing. It's, it's a privilege that we have that we can approach God as Father. And um, I think Josh covered this. I talked to him a little bit, and by, you know, It's an amazing grace that through the gospel, we can address God as Father. That's why we can address God. That's why we can, he even hears our prayers because of Jesus, right? Because of the gospel, because of his life, death, and resurrection, we have access to the Father. Um, Josh covered this verse, uh, these verses, Hebrews 10, uh, 19, and it says, uh, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, right? We enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, then in verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart and in full assurance. And so how can we draw near to God? It is by the blood of Jesus. And so not only did Jesus secure our place to God, he, he allowed us to access God, but he gave us a new relationship. And that's uh, adoption, right? And so we were made sons and daughters of God. Before, if you guys remember your series on Colossians, right? You were in the, we were all in the domain of darkness, right? We were in Satan's realm. But God took us from there and he brought us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And so God, what he did, he, he through Jesus Christ and his salvation, we become daughters and sons of God. Uh, we're adopted. And so, and as any good father, right, you have access, your children have access to, you you're, you're, as a son, I can go to my dad and ask him things. As a son, I, he, he hears me. Um, and so with God, he hears his children and, and we get to call him father. And so <clears throat> that's kind of setting uh, the tone of, of how we can address God and, and how we come before him and he hears our prayers. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 12 drives us home. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Right? So if, if you are righteous in Christ, it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. And so that's just an amazing confidence that we can talk to God and he hears us. Right? He doesn't owe us that, but we are enabled to through Christ. And so that's the word Father. Uh, and now we'll look at the actual Lord's Prayer and in the, in the different petitions um, that are in the Lord's Prayer. And so <clears throat> if you look at Luke uh, 11.2, the, uh, the first petition is actually Father, hallowed be your name. Right? Hallowed be your name. And so the first thing I thought of was, what does that mean? Right, um <laughs> I don't know if you're like me, but I've never used the word hollowed right i don't I don't think you guys have either maybe in a smelling test or something, but never used the word hollowed, right um, not in this way, and so what does hollowed be your name mean All right? so let's just establish that first uh hollowed that word it, it can mean to be to sanctify or to set apart uh, or to make holy, and that's still kind of hard to understand, so just a mental picture thinking about hollowed is is, um, you know, if if you're panning for gold and in the the dirt, and the mud, you're panning for gold and you find a little piece of gold, right? What do you do? You you take it out, right? You set it apart and you you hold it as valuable. And you set it apart from everything else that is common and and dirty uh, and you hold it as valuable. And so that's kind of what it means to hollow, to take something, set it apart from everything common and hold it above everything else. Uh, And then God's name. What does it mean, God's name? Uh, Here, his name means basically his whole personhood, right? And so when you think about a name, it, it, it so encompasses a person. When you hear the name, uh, maybe Michael or Emily, um, I looked up, that's, like, the most famous uh, popular name, baby names in 2000. I think you guys are born around then. I mean, not 2000, <laughs> 2010. Um, and so that might bring something to your mind, right? Like, for us, when we're naming our kids, we're like, oh, Michael, like, I, I knew Michael. I didn't like him, you know? Uh, For you, you might have different uh, associations with people, right, different values you give to people. And so the same, like, thinking about maybe more powerful is is if you think about the name Gandhi, right, or Adolf Hitler. Like, what kind of thoughts or emotions or values do you associate to those names? And so in the same way, everyone holds God's name, God's person, in a certain value in your heart, right? We have a different value of who God is. We have uh, a different um, association of positive or negative thoughts, on who God is. And so to hollow his name means to set God apart in his own category, right? Taking him apart from the common and placing him in the place that he deserves. Uh, to value him above everything and everyone else. <clears throat> and so when we pray this, Father, hallowed be your name. We're praying that God is put in his rightful place, that he is believed and he is trusted, uh, that he is valued for who he truly is, that he is loved above all with no equal. And so that is what we're praying when we pray, hallowed be your name. And uh, you might want <clears throat> you might wonder, why is this first? Why is this the first request? Why is it so important? And um, it is the most important request. That's why it pl- is placed first. Uh, but why? And so we'll look at some verses to, to kind of think through this. Um, but to say from the beginning, uh, this is first and this is most prominent because this is most important to God. Uh, For God's name to be hallowed is his greatest desire. It is his greatest uh, plan and purpose for all things. And so we see this in creation in Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. It says this. uh, It says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. So he says, he created. He said, whom I created for my glory. So why did God create humans? Why did God create all people? For his glory. And then we see even in salvation. So a lot of times, salvation, we think, salvation's for me. I get to be saved, right? And that's so true, right? We're we're saved from our sin as we believe in Christ. Uh, but God, in his word, says, Yes, that's true, but the ultimate purpose is God's glory. So 2 Corinthians 4:15 says this: for it is all for your sake, your sake, God's sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. And it says, to the glory of God, right? And so what is the purpose of God in creation? It's his own glory. What's the purpose of salvation? His own glory. And one more thing is just that God in himself, without creating, without saving us, he in himself is glorious. Uh, And so Psalm 96 encompasses this. The psalmist says, ascribe or, or give to the Lord the glory due his name. So God's name is due glory. God himself is due glory. And so this is <clears throat> God's ultimate plan and purpose for everything, that he is hallowed, that his name is established as the most glorious uh, person uh, and, and being above all. And why do we need to pray this every day? It's because, um, because we don't often believe that, right? Uh, we desperately need this, this prayer, hallowed be your name, because our natural tendency is not to hollow God's name. Our natural tendency is to not lift up God's name, but to lift up our own name. <clears throat> and the, the greatest enemy of hollowing God's name, if you think in your mind, what is the greatest threat to hollowing God's name, right? Just think for one minute, what is the greatest th- threat to hollowing God's name? And so I would argue the greatest threat is actually us, right, our sinful hearts. And so a lot of people will rant all day about how politics or, or maybe liberal theology or R-rated movies Take us away from hallowing God's name. And those things may distract us from hallowing God's name, but the greatest enemy that we have is actually ourselves. That we don't hallow God's name. We don't value God and his purposes. We don't love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, just to show you how insane that is, right? Um, In in the midst of all of God's plans and and who he is in glory, we think that the purpose of life is about us. And you might, I mean, I'm not saying you exactly, but people in general, right? And, And so, When uh, my experiences as I've done evangelism, you know, we'll go on a college campus or we just go to the train station and you ask people, you ask people, what's the purpose of life? Like, what what do you think is the purpose of life? Um, The most common answer that I've gotten here in California, the the, the purpose of life is that uh, you would do whatever makes you happy, right? Essentially, uh, whatever I want to do and I think is best is what makes me happy. And that's my purpose of life. That's all, they, they would say that's even everyone's purpose of life, to do whatever each individual person thinks makes them most happy. Right? And so they're making their life about themselves, right? with no regard to anyone else or, or God himself, but just uh, for whatever they want to do and what they think is best. And to see how insane this is, <clears throat> I, wanna, I want you to consider one thing, uh, one part of God's glory, and that's creation. Right? And so if you think about creation, You, personally, are one person, right? I hope you're one person, right? But um, you're one person, and how many people live in the world, you know, the population of the world? Does anybody know? (laughs) Thank you, Eden. Um, A lot of people. So, it's almost eight billion people. Eight billion is is a crazy number, right? But you're one of eight billion people, right, who live on planet Earth. And planet Earth in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, how many planets are in the galaxy? There's 10 billion planets, right? And in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, which is one galaxy in the universe, how many galaxies are there? There's 100 to 200 billion, they estimate, galaxies, right? And so creation is crying out. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims its handiwork. Everything that God has created is just saying God is great, right? God is glorious. God is wonderful and powerful and infinite, and you are not, right? (laughs) He's just, everything is so clearly pointing to God and his glory. And on top of his creation, right, we know the glory of salvation, that God created us, and we're just like these tiny microscopic pieces of dust to God, Um, but he created us, and he placed importance in us. And, and even with all of his love, what do we do? We sin against God, right? We sin against God. We, microscopic pieces of dust, think that we're better than God. And we sin against God, but God does not give up on us. He sends his son to pay for our sins, right? At his own cost, he pays for our sins on the cross. And he welcomes, he welcomes us back in. He makes us children of him. And he allows us to even pray to him, right? And so despite all of that happening, despite all of creation crying out that God is to be lifted up, that his name is to be hallowed. As mankind, uh, we don't believe it. We don't trust in it. And we care more about our name and lifting up our name and doing what we want than God. And so this is the first request, because it is so against our human nature, and it is the very primary thing that God wants for his name to be gloried, is that we would hallow God's name. And so it is the primary thing that we should be praying for, because it is the primary concern of God himself. And we'll see that this prayer uh, sits above all the others, and the others feed into this prayer, and it affects them. Um, but also, as tonight you get in small groups, you can think about how that might affect how you, what you pray for and how you pray for those things. Um, and so uh, our hearts, uh, I pray that our hearts would be like Psalm 115. It says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And so that is the heart cry of hallowed be your name. And so we'll go to the next request. Uh, Verse 2, it says, your kingdom come. And so your kingdom come, it's pretty similar to um, hallowed be your name, right? Uh, But so Matthew's account actually helps us a little bit. There's another uh, account of the the Lord's Prayer. People think it's it's probably a different teaching because it's a little longer. Uh, But in Matthew's account, um, Matthew says this. He says, your kingdom come. He prays the same thing. Jesus prays the same thing, but he also adds this. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God's kingdom, what he's saying to pray for is he's saying God's kingdom is where he fully rules, right? In, a, in heaven, there is no rebellion. In heaven, there's no doubt who is God. In heaven, there is only perfect obedience, and God is glorified perfectly. And so we might be thinking, okay, um, yeah, that's nice, but, like, what does God's kingdom look like, right? What does God's kingdom look like? Um, and Luke actually talks about God's kingdom quite often <clears throat> as he portrays Jesus' teaching on this. Uh, I don't know if you you guys know about the Jews' perception of of God's kingdom. When Jesus was talking about God's kingdom, the Jews thought that the kingdom would be a military role or a political role. So they were waiting uh, for Jesus to rise up and and take them out of Rome. They were waiting for for the Jews to take over. They were waiting for an important nation, for Israel to become an important nation and take over. Uh, But what Jesus taught was really different than that. And so, and Pastor Josh has been um, preaching on this a a little bit and getting there, but um, what his kingdom was, and and it really was, and what the people that would be invited into the kingdom, um, this is a picture of what he was teaching, right? So Jesus healed the sick and he raised the dead, right? And so he he was showing that his kingdom uh, was a place with no death, a place with no sickness. He cast out demons, right? And so he's showing his kingdom was a place where demons did not rule and did not strive against him. He regarded women and children well in a society that didn't care about them, um, uplifting them. He opposed religious hypocrites. He taught that the oppressive rich would not be rewarded in the kingdom of God. He taught that, actually, the people who would, would be rewarded were the poor and persecuted. And he esteemed the humble and the afflicted and the righteous. Right? And so God's kingdom was really different than what the Jews thought. God's kingdom reflects. Uh, his rule and his values perfectly. And so when we're praying, your kingdom come, how do we pray that? What does that mean for us? How do we pray your kingdom come? And so two ways to think about it is we can pray your kingdom come now uh, and your kingdom come in the future at the end of all time. And so praying, what does praying for God's kingdom now mean or, or look like? And so this could look like praying that God's kingdom reign would reign in your life more fully, right? I think we all know that we have divided hearts at times, um, that sometimes we're on fire for God, other times we're cold, right? And, and so we want God's reign, we want God's value uh, to be in our hearts uh, fully, more fully. Um, we also pray that as we see suffering and oppression, I, I'm sure you guys have heard of the recent shootings. Um, yeah, we just, we just pray that that would not be in the kingdom, right, that would not, that justice would be done uh, that people would be comforted with an eternal hope. Um, we're praying that there would be no more suffering. There would be no more oppression. We're praying for justice. We could pray for healing uh, for those who are sick in our lives uh, and, and facing cancer or any other ailment. Um, one pastor also talked about how in God's kingdom, our churches are like kind of like outposts of God's kingdom. They're like settlements of God's kingdom. And so it's kind of like lights in the midst of darkness. And so we can pray that, Uh, God's kingdom, in a sense, like, we are God's kingdom, but we would continue to spread, Uh, we would continue to bring people out who are outside of the kingdom into the kingdom, and the light would glorify God as it grows. And so, and that's the last thing, you could just be praying for people outside of the kingdom. And so out of the eight billion people that do live on earth, about five billion of them, which is a huge number, don't even profess Christ. And out of that five billion, about 1.8 billion are unreached, meaning they have no access to the gospel almost at all, little to no access of the gospel. And so we could be praying for God's kingdom now on this earth uh, for those people. And what does it mean to pray for God's kingdom into the future? Um, we've kind of already touched on this, but Revelation 21 is a verse, it is a, yeah, these are verses that I think are so helpful in so many ways in your Christian life. So I would just encourage you to remember these, but Re- Revelation 21, three to four, gives us a glimpse of the eternal kingdom. And so it says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And and so in our heart, cry to God, thinking about um, everything that's wrong with this world. We can be praying that God's perfect and final kingdom come and come soon. That all rebellion, all sin would be wiped out, and that God's perfect kingdom, eternal kingdom, would be established. Right? And this is actually the last cry of the whole Bible. Revelation 22, the last two verses of the Bible, it says this. He who testified to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. So Jesus is coming soon. So the writer says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And so that should be our heart cry, right? As we see these things, as we experience these things that are hard, we should be crying out, Come, Lord Jesus right? We want his kingdom now. We want him to be lifted up and all sin to be done. And so the first two things are the focus of prayer, the focus of prayer showing that the main focus and the priority of prayer is God's glory and his kingdom to be established. Um, And so the next three requests that we'll look at address our human needs, right? And so this is where we look at uh, what do we need as humans? So God, although he is most concerned with his glory, he knows we are we are dust, right? He knows we are weak humans, and and we need things, and and he cares about those things, and so we get to look at some of those requests. So the first one is, give us each day our daily bread, Uh, and so what does that mean? Um, Bread was common. It was a common food in the New Testament, and so praying for daily bread was just asking for daily provision for your physical needs to be met, right? Um, For me, it's like I'm, praying for rice every day, you know? (laughs) So it's just whatever you eat, like, you need daily provision. And God has created you to be a dependent creature, right? Uh, So we need water. We need food. We need sleep. We need oxygen to live. And so uh, by his amazing grace, God is not indifferent to these things. He actually invites us to ask him for these things, and he cares about them. Um, If you were to think about maybe someone who's powerful or rich or talented, right? So some names I thought of was like, Elon Musk, or LeBron James, or maybe Taylor Swift. I don't know what you guys like, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but if you're just thinking about like someone that's, yeah, you look up to maybe, and they have a lot of talent, and you're like, that would be cool to watch them. Um, so it would be cool, like, it, it, it would be great if you can go and watch them, you can, um, you can see them, you can learn something from them. Um, and so it'd be, it would be awesome to listen to someone, or to, uh, to take in something from that person, but if you think about it, that person is never going to come down to you, right? No, that person's not going to come down to you and care about you and listen to you and hear you or care about your needs. Um, but the most amazing thing is that God, not only does he speak to us, right? It's amazing, first of all, that God speaks to us because he didn't have to. He didn't have to speak to us in English, or, or sorry, not English, <laughs> human language. He didn't have to communicate to us or even give us the Bible, uh, but he did. But on top of that, God listens to us, right? God listens to us in our prayer. He hears our requests for our physical needs even, uh, that we need bread. And so um, <clears throat> I think at this point, it, it's kind of hard for us to think about daily bread in our culture and society. Um, I've met a lot of people in, in California that are, you know, just like, I don't need God. You know, like, you're, you're just like, God is something you, you trust in when you don't have any hope or, or maybe you need a crutch to rely on. Uh, and a lot of people are successful. There are a lot of people are good, and they're like, I don't need God. I have everything I need. I don't need God. And so I think that's our temptation for most of you, right? For most of us in this church, uh, we are probably well-supplied, right? We are probably uh, – our parents do well uh, or, or decently. I mean, we're all in California still. Um, we have uh, our, our food on the table. We don't really worry about where our next meal is going to come from. And so I think our, our, in our culture, in our society – our, our temptation is actually to forget about our need from God, right? And we don't feel that need. But God, Jesus here is reminding us that we have a daily need. Um, I want to uh, just look at Deuteronomy 8 really quick. And this is, Deuteronomy 8 is, uh, Moses has led the Israelites uh, all the way out of, out of Egypt. Uh, God has delivered them miraculously, right, through the, the plagues and through, his, through, the, through the Red Sea. And brought them through the wilderness, and finally they're at the edge, the precipice of going into the promised land. Uh, and this is what uh, Moses warns them. He warns them because he knows once they go into the land, they will be wealthy. Once they go into the land, they will be, have their needs met. And so this is what he says Deuteronomy 8, 17, uh, 18 says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power, right? My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Beware, he's saying. <clears throat> and then he says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. All right? And so God is, uh, God is warning them through Moses that even if you have it all together, even if you have everything, uh, don't forget that God is the one who actually gives you all these good things. God is the giver of every good gift. And so if you are doing well in school, which I'm sure many of you are, or maybe uh, you're good at sports or music or whatever you're good at, Uh, you're you're headed to a good career, don't forget that God is the one who gives you all these graces. Don't forget that, yes, you worked hard, but God is the one who has enabled you. God is the one who strengthens you. God is the one who gives you um, common grace to do this, right? Just even think about this, that you were born here in California. You could have been born anywhere. (laughs) You could have been born on an island with nothing, right? But you were born here. God has given you that opportunity, God has given you the intellect. God has given you the drive to succeed, to continue. God has given you most likely parents that care about you uh, and love you. And God gives you breath each day, right, that you survive on through oxygen. And so that is all God's gifts to us, right? And and so in no way should we be prideful uh, to think that my hand has done this, uh, that I have done this, and I deserve this, and forget about our provision that we need from God every day. And so I, I, I thought... You know, I think we often probably don't think we're so strong, but I think we just assume we're so strong. Um, but we need to realize we're, we're really weak, right? Uh, we're actually, without God's grace, we're like, uh, I thought of this example, like, we're like a dandelion, right? Those little things you blow on. We're like a dandelion in a hurricane, right? And so there's just, like, no chance. We stand no chance to stay together without God. And so <clears throat> we need to be careful that um, our temptation I think, in our culture is that God's gift don't blind us to de- depending upon God each day. And so that's to those who are well-supplied. I also want to address those who, are, who feel their need, right? And so because <clears throat> whether you're not, you may be in this season where you feel a physical need. You may uh, be there now where you're thinking about going to school, paying for school. Um, you may be thinking about living on your own, and that's expensive here. Um, or maybe you're just going through a physical or, or otherwise just, just trial, Right? And so you you know your need. You know your need, or in the least, you will know your need. Uh, I promise you, if you ask anyone uh, who's older, there are trials, right? There are needs that they have. And, and so uh, to those of you who feel your need, uh, this is an assuring grace that God gives to us, right? That we can pray to God, uh, give us our daily bread, and he hears us. And, and uh, in Matthew, it says that... He, as, his, as our father, he knows our needs. And so that's such an amazing grace. One story I want to illustrate that <clears throat> is um, George Mueller. I don't know if you guys know who George Mueller is. Um, he lived in England in the 1800s. He was a uh, pastor. He had uh, opened many orphanages to care for kids. Uh, he took them off of the street. At that time, there wasn't like a lot of orphanages. Kids would just be orphaned on the street, fending for themselves or, or uh, stealing and, and doing whatever they could to get by. <clears throat> so he started taking them in, showing them the love of Christ. Uh, and so there's a story. This, this man, he was convinced uh, to run all these orphanages. He would depend upon God in prayer. And he wouldn't tell everyone his needs. He wouldn't publish it. He wouldn't do fundraisers. Uh, he would pray and trust God alone. And so there's a story. One day, they, they end up running out of money. They end up running out of food at the house that he's in. Um, and the, they come and ask him, you know, what are we going to do? We don't have food for these 300 orphans that are gonna, They need breakfast. And so he tells them, set the table and sit them down and we'll pray. And so they pray. They pray for the food and they wait upon God. And so they're waiting upon God. And then sooner than later, a knock comes on the door, right? And it's the local baker. And it's recorded he said this. Uh, it said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up and I baked three batches for you. So he brings bread for all of them. And soon after they're they're unloading the bread and someone else knocks and it's the local milkman. milkman. At that time they would deliver milk like door to door. And he said uh, his cart had just broken down and he wouldn't by the time they would come and fix the cart he said all the milk would spoil. And so he offered them uh, all the milk for the orphans in his cart. And so That's just to show us that God knows our needs. And as we pursue his kingdom and righteousness, he fulfills those needs. Uh, Matthew 6, 32 to 33 says this, for the Gentiles seek after these things uh, for food and clothing and and, um, everything that we need. Uh, But it says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so our experience probably is not going to be as dramatic as George Mueller's, right? Um, But as we seek God's will, as we work hard and we depend upon upon God fully in prayer, um, God promises that he'll hear us and he he will provide for us. And so this is really the heart of prayer. Whether you're you're well off and supplied for or whether you're in need, uh, the heart of that prayer, give us today our daily bread, is a humble dependence upon God. And it's no mistake that Jesus, when he comes, he says what? He says, I am the bread of life, right? And so he's showing us we need God every day. We need him every day. And so that's the first thing God, uh, Jesus uh, calls us to pray for, for our needs. Uh, The the second is forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. And so we see that um, Jesus calls us to um, ask for our daily provision, physical provision, but he also asks uh, for our spiritual provision. Forgive us our sins. Um, And we see that the forgiveness of sins is more important, right, than than bread itself. One theologian said, what good is bread for a man on death row, right? His greatest need is not bread, but forgiveness for pardon. Uh, And so God knows that without food, we will die physically, and he cares for that. And and how much more, he knows that we need forgiveness. And he invites us uh, to ask for forgiveness to him. And in the sense of asking to forgive us our sins, uh, the sense is not that we're asking for salvation over and over, that we're getting saved every day. Uh, the sense is that we are saved. We're in the family of God, and we're asking and restoring the f- the relationship with our father. And so just like uh, when I sin against my kids or my kids sin against me and they ask for forgiveness, we restore the relationship uh, by reconciliation. And so prayer uh, gives us, it, there's just this great encouragement because one is that God he knows our need, even spiritually, that we're going to keep sinning. Uh, and that's why he says we can, ask, uh, we can ask for forgiveness each day. We're called to ask for forgiveness each day. And so <clears throat> I want to warn you, if, if we don't come to God in repentance, if we don't come to God in repentance, you may be saved still, uh, but you will suffer spiritually. And so David records this experience in Psalm 32. He says this about feeling the weight of his sin in unrepentance. He says this, for when I kept silent, kept silent about a sin, um, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up by the heat of summer. And so we see that if we hold on to our sin, if we don't come to God as he has invited us and, and ask for forgiveness, uh, then we suffer. We suffer the effect of that sin uh, in, our, in our life. We have little peace. We have little assurance of our salvation. We have Uh, less joy in the Lord, and God will not be glorified in us. And so, God graciously allows us and asks us uh, to come and to ask for forgiveness. Uh, And 1 John 1.9 is so encouraging uh, for us who know our sin daily. It says this, if we confess our sins, right? So, if we we are willing to confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And, And so, we have this great hope, this great promise that, that God says in First John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so each day, we have to include this, right? We, we have to include this spiritual need that we need to come to God each day asking for forgiveness, thinking about how we have sinned and humbly examining our lives and confessing our sins uh, to God and asking for forgiveness. And so tied to that verse Uh, it's that sentence and forgive us our sins is this other part it it says for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us right so we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and if you think about uh, your own life I'm sure that you found that forgiveness is not always easy right forgiveness is not always easy so there's one aspect where we go to God and we ask for forgiveness and that's hard um and that's hard and and yet it's also hard and, and when someone comes to us and has forgiven us, or sorry, someone has come to us and sinned against us and is asking for forgiveness. Uh, and so it's interesting to note that uh, this is tied to our forgiveness before God. That in some way, it's assumed uh, that we would be forgiving others who sinned against us if we expect God uh, to forgive us our sins. And you might ask, why? Why is that? So a simple answer is that uh, a true believer who understands the gospel and what they have been forgiven of if they truly understand what they've been forgiven of, uh, they will extend that forgiveness to others, right? And so, before we go deeper, I want to I want to qualify that quickly, uh, just because uh, there is this kind of sense in today's uh, I think in today that um, as Christians we should forgive every, anyone and everyone, uh, even if they don't ask for forgiveness, right? No matter what they did, and and I think it's a it's a harder conversation, uh, but there's many situations I think we need to consider. How sin might affect um, even our our trust or reconciliation in, the, in harder situations, in harder sins. Um, but in general, in general, just in our daily lives, uh, we are called we are called to uh, extend forgiveness to those who sin against us. Uh, and it would be hypocr- hypocrisy uh, for us to withhold that forgiveness. And so the, probably the most popular illustration of this in the Bible is uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. Uh, so this is when Peter goes to Jesus and he says, you know, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? And he's like, maybe seven. And <laughs> Jesus is like, basically he's like, no, I- infinity, right? Um, and, and then Jesus tells this parable. He tells this story uh, to illustrate his answer. Uh, and in the story, he, he tells him that there's a king who owed, or there's a man who owed a king 10,000 talents. And so if you, you work out the math, it's about 1.6 million dollars. Right? And that's, that's a ridiculous amount, right? $1.6 million. And so the servant has no hope. He's at the mercy of the king. And so he, be, he begs the king, and he says, uh, basically, um, <clears throat> be patient with me. I'll, I'll pay you back, which is probably not true. Right, You can't pay him back. Um, but the king decides to not only uh, give him more time, but he then forgives him of the whole debt. He forgives him of the $1.6 million, uh, which is crazy. Um, and he sets him free at his own cost. And that same servant, the forgiven servant, what does he do? He goes out and he finds his, his fellow servant. Uh, and, he, and he chokes him. And he says, you owe me. And you know how much he owed him? He owed him $22,000. So he just got forgiven $1.6 million. And he goes to this other guy and he's like, you owe me $22,000. And I'm going to choke you. <laughs> right? And um, the, the servant basically begs the same thing. Like, give me time. You know, I'll pay you back. Which is probably more reasonable. He probably could pay him back. Um, But what does this guy do? The the guy who just got forgiven, he says, no, you need to pay me now. And since you can't, he puts him in prison. And that's just so ridiculous. It's it's so shocking, right? Jesus is making this point that it makes no sense that a man who has been forgiven $1.6 million is unwilling to forgive this guy of $22,000, right? And so this is what Jesus, he finishes the story like this. He says, then the master, the king, summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. Because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. And so we see there is a condition in a sense that a true believer, forgiven of the infinite grace, of the infinite sin that we have committed against God, there's no way we can hold. Uh, just like finite, normal sins against our brothers. Uh, And so it just drives home this point that uh, if we're asking God for forgiveness, we have to be willing to ask, uh, we have to be willing to forgive others. Uh, And so one more story to illustrate this. Um, If you guys have heard of um, Corrie Ten Boom, she was a a faithful um, believer in the Netherlands in World War II. And um, Nazi Germany, they, they stormed her town. They came through... Uh, the Netherlands and took over her city and her family decided uh, because of the the love they had uh, for the Jews and, and for their neighbors they would house them and they would hide them in their house and so eventually they were caught they were um, they were uh, actually betrayed and caught and uh, they were sent to the to the concentration camps themselves uh, and after being year, after being imprisoned for years in terrible conditions and I, I think all of her family died except for her she was released. Um, really a miracle of God, she was released. And after the war, she, she took on a ministry, um, ministering to those who had been in the concentration camps uh, and, and I- encouraging them uh, to forgive the Germans. And she also would actually go back after the war to Germany, and she was encouraging the Germans to find forgiveness in Christ, which is amazing, right? The love of Christ in her um, was clearly seen. And so there's a story that she was speaking in a German church in Munich, uh, the capital. And after the service, a man came up to her. And he didn't recognize her, but she immediately recognized him as being one of the um, SS Nazi guards from the camp that she was in. Right, uh, And this is what she, this is the, her account. It says this. He came up to me as the church was emptying, uh, beaming and bowing. And, and he said this. How grateful I am for your message, Frau Lin which means young lady, he said, uh, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. And so he's trusting in Christ. And his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, uh, Ten Boom, Corrie Ten Boom said, and I who preached so often to the people in uh, Blomondale, which is where she was ministering to those uh, who were in the concentration camps, "Uh, I who preached so often to these people, the need to forgive, she said she kept her hand at her side. And she said this, even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. And Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Uh, She says, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. Uh, and then she tells us, and she says, As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened from my shoulder along my arm. And through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While uh, into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so we see that <clears throat> Corey Tenboom, sinned against by this man and by these people, is able to forgive because of the forgiveness of God, right? We're able to love because of the love we've been shown in Christ. Uh, and so I, as you pray, as you you spend your time in prayer, um it's so important for us to think about how we have sinned against god and also how we need to reconcile with others in our lives how if there's any relational conflict in our life we need to address it and reconcile and be willing to forgive others who sin against us as god has forgiven us and so we get to the last um the last uh request that jesus calls us to ask uh, and this is, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. And so the first thing to make clear here is that this does not mean that God tempts us to sin. right? Uh, we're, we're called to ask God, lead us not into temptation. So what does that mean? Um, James, 1 makes, James 1 makes this clear. James 1, 13 and 15 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with sin and he himself tempts no one. So it's just so clear, right? God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so it's just so clearly showing us that he tempts no one. That's what it says. Um, So how how do we understand this? What does it mean to ask God, lead us not into temptation? And John Piper was helpful for me thinking through this. He, he distinguished our experience of temptation. He says uh, that God sometimes allows um, sin to test us. Okay, So sometimes God tests us, uh, but, but Satan is the one who tempts us. And so God will sometimes allow us to be tested by sin so that we will grow in our faith, uh, so that we will be kept alert from sin, we'll be woken up, from our comforts, and uh, that he can even discipline us uh, to drive us away from sin. And on the other hand, Satan, Satan is the one who tempts. Satan is the one who tempts and has no purpose for our good. His only purpose is to lead us to sin. That temptation would lead to sin, and sin would lead to death. Um, Satan's purpose is to condemn us. Satan's purpose is to make us less useful in the kingdom. Satan's purpose, ultimate purpose, is to take us away from God. And so he tempts us. He brings temptation to us. Uh, In the midst of our temptation, we have a great hope, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 is a a great encouragement to us. Uh, It says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall, right? We need to be aware. We need to be present. We need to be ready for temptation, um, not just pridefully going on about our life. And he continues this, No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And it's so encouraging because I think sometimes we have this mindset that, you know, sin is its, it's just going to happen, right? We have a defeatist view that, you know, I, I can't withstand sin. Um, and we almost don't pray this. We don't pray. Don't lead us not into temptation. We just give in. We just give up. We, we just think, oh, everybody sins. That's what happens, Right? And that's not true. 1 Corinthians 10 is saying, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. There's a way out. He can make you endure it. And so with God's help, um, and this is why we need to pray, right? With God's help, we can withstand temptation. With God's help, we can have victory over temptation through the Spirit. Uh, And so there's so many things for us to pray through, right? As we think about temptations, some I thought of, you know, you can pray for everything, right? Um, but, you know, just things that you may deal with, um, just praying to God, right? I have that test that I'm stressed about, and I'm tempted to cheat, right? I know it's, I know it's easy to cheat today, right? Uh, <laughs> and you can be tempted to, to sin against God by, by cheating. Uh, or maybe um, you, ha- you don't agree with your parents or your teachers. You don't respect them. And, and so <clears throat> we can pray, God, don't let me sin against them in disrespect, right? Um, Or help me be loving to my friend, this person who's annoying to me. Help me not to slander them to my other friends, right? And and one I know I fear with, I I struggle with, and others do. Help me not to fear man, right? Help me not to think of their approval more important than God's. And so there's so many things, um, but to protect us from sin, this is a huge way that God calls us to um, pray that we would not be led into temptation. And so... Just to wrap everything up, you know, we, we went through the Lord's Prayer and just looking at what are the different requests that Jesus gives us, uh, the order and the priority of prayer, uh, that God's name is to be hallowed, and, and what that means. And, and we see that as we depend upon God for each of these requests, God is glorified when he answers our prayers, when he strengthens us, when he helps us. Uh, and when we are kept from sin, he is glorified. And so I want to end with a, a couple practical things to think about. <clears throat> the, the first is one way you can pray. There's many ways you can structure your prayer. Um, but one practical way is to think through the, these requests of the Lord's Prayer. And so you can just memorize it or you can uh, go to the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke 1 and just just pray this. Uh, and just think through each, each request. Father, hallowed be your name. And just like we talked about, just think through what does it mean for God's name to be hallowed? In my life, in this world, how can I hallow God's name? and um, your kingdom come, and and be praying over that, and every request, on and on. And so that's just one easy way. There's many different structures, but um, one way is to pray along the Lord's Prayer. And so my last encouragement, my last exhortation of application is this, uh, just to pray, right? And I think there's probably nothing more important in the Christian life, and at the same time, nothing more neglected, right? We're busy people. We have school. We have work. We have sports. We have uh, all these things, we have friends, family, and so we neglect prayer in, in our society, in our culture. We're pragmatic people, like we just need to get things done. We're busy, uh, and we don't trust the Lord in prayer, and so I just want to encourage you, pray, right? I don't, I don't want you to walk away from this time learning about prayer, thinking about prayer, and do nothing with it, right, and just throw it away, uh, and, and your prayer doesn't have to be perfect, right? It doesn't have to be eloquent or long- it doesn't have to be something awesome. It's not a performance, right? You, you come to God, your father, right? Um, you, don't, you don't say a speech to your father, right? You, you just come to him and you pour out your heart. And so do the same with God. Uh, go to him humbly and just seeking his glory and commit yourself to pray. And so I just encourage you to set aside that time for prayer, not just, you know, before you take a test, not just before you're eating a meal, but really just set yourself uh, to pray. And if you want to grow, if you want to know the Lord and his grace, and even knowing the Lord personally more, uh, that's all through prayer. And so, <clears throat> just to end, Jesus gave us this model of prayer, the Lord's prayer, uh, teaching us what we should pray for. Uh, I hope uh, that you have in mind more of, you know, what what can we pray for? What should we be praying for? Um, and I just hope that this encourages you. <laughs> hope this encourages you uh, to go to the Father in prayer. And so, let me end our time in prayer. Uh, And then we'll get into small groups. Father, we just uh, thank you so much for your grace that um, we can call you, Father, that uh, you love us through the Son, and uh, that you hear our prayers, and and that you want us to pray to you. And we're thankful that you spoke uh, through Jesus. And Jesus laid out the Lord's prayer for us so we can think through um, how we should pray, what we should be praying for. Uh, and I just pray for the students that they would create habits of prayer. Now, even as they're young, uh, that it would continue with them as they grow up and uh, that they could look back and give you all the glory. That you have been with them, that you have grown them, that you have kept them from temptation, that you have um, led them because... Uh, they have appealed to you because they have come to you in prayer and that they would not say their hand has done this or I have done this, but they would say the Lord has done it all uh, and that they can glorify you and uh, because of your grace. And so we thank you, Lord. We pray you bless the time of small groups uh, and we thank you for this night. In Christ's name, amen.